Well, hey, welcome to Grace this morning. We're glad that you're here. Uh, this morning, we are go- going to continue in our series called Man Up. And uh, before we get going this morning, what I want to do is I just kind of want to reiterate a little bit of what AJ was talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, we have our Fight Club event kickoff tonight at 10 p.m. at our Fremont campus. And I know there's a bunch of guys uh, in here where you're going, oh, 10 p.m. Actually, AJ was just talking to a college student in between services. It's like, man, we got classes tomorrow. It's like, boo-hoo, you know? We totally know it's late, okay? We actually do. We, we make it late on purpose, all right? Um, we don't want to take away from your family time. We don't want to take away from your work. All right, we want to take away from your sleep, okay? Something that we all have a little bit of time for. Uh, we want to take that away from, from you. And I know that, uh, that you'll regret it maybe a little bit tomorrow morning, but by lunchtime, you'll be back to normal. It'll all be good, okay? That's the only time that you're going to feel it. But we want you to come tonight, even if you're not sure if you want to do the whole 10-week challenge deal, uh, that doesn't even start till like Thursday, okay? Tonight is basically just the info about we want to pitch to you when we want to, we want to really push you to do this, but we're not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. Even if you're not sure you want to do that, still come tonight. I can promise you a few things. Uh, we're not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. Only about half the guys are going to do the, the, the thing that we have going on tonight. Don't really want to talk about it, but, uh, but only about half the guys are going to do it. I guarantee you one thing that is going to be entertaining, all right, no matter which guy you are, whether you're out there or whether you're watching, um, and uh, we're going to have brisket, okay, so can't argue with that. And it's free, all right? Well, it costs you two hours of sleep, so you'll be, you'll be back nice in bed in your warm little beds um, by midnight, okay? So there's that. Um, we, uh, we got a guy from Marion coming who's got to be at work. He's a prison guard. He's got to be at work at 4 a.m. in the morning, okay? If you got a better excuse than that, all right, you can miss it. But uh, for, for the rest of us, let's just, let's just man up and let's just do this, okay? It's two hours. We got it. All right, so besides that, um, we, <laughs> the whole reason why we're doing this series is because we live in a society, all right, hands down, it's just how it is. We live in a society that's constantly attacking the idea of biblical manhood, all right? Our culture tells women to act more like men, tells men to act more like women. And what we sometimes, I feel like we have the tendency to forget, again, because culture is constantly pushing us all the way around, is that God made men and women different. God did that. Now, he didn't make us the same. And it's not like he like, accidentally did it. It's not like he made one first and then was like, oh, that's not good enough. I'm going to make this one. All right, that, or he, you know, it's, it's, not how, it's not how it was, okay? God made men and women different. He did it on purpose. Men and women have complete equal worth. God has placed on us complete equal value, but we are different. And our culture wants to blend the two, all right? Our culture wants to make us more of the same, uh, it's funny because in our society, right, our culture, and just kind of the way that we think, it's, hey, if it's not the same, then it's not equal, right? If it's not the same, then it's not fair, right, to, to, the, to the other side or whatever it is. Um, but God, you know, that's kind of how our, our culture views it. But God's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Don't listen to that garbage. God's saying, I made you guys different. I made men and women different. It wasn't some mistake, I did it on purpose, right? It's, it, I, he has a plan for that. And he's saying, you are complete equals in what matters the most, which is value and worth that God places on each and every one of us in this room. So what we've seen over the past, I don't know, 70 years, maybe 100 years or so, 
is, uh, is a cultural shift. Now, listen in on this because it's kind of difficult to explain. I hope I explain it well, uh, but don't have complete confidence in that. But uh, what we've seen over the past, let's say, 70 years or so um, is, is a cultural shift with men's role in society. Okay, I'm not saying it's all bad, not saying it's all, it's all good. Um, what I am saying is that throughout history, all right, we see you could go to Africa, Rome, China, Native Americans here in the United States or here in North America. Uh, what we have seen is that throughout history in humankind, that community survival has depended on the ability to take ground, to fight, to build, and to, def- and to defend. Okay? That's just kind of how it, that's been the most important, let's say, values or the most important areas of life uh, with community survival. And, and historically, the sex that has uh, done better, you know, again, listen to what I'm saying. The sex that has been more valued in those roles, maybe I'll put it that way, more valued in those roles has been men, right? Naturally, all right, men are more prone to take ground, fight, and build, and defend, okay? Uh, women also had valuable roles in those types of societies, too. It's not saying women are useless or worthless or less or by any means, right? They also had valuable roles in those societies too. And by the way, there's societies that are still like that all throughout the world, just not here with us, right? And so with us, we have seen this cultural shift where, where in our culture, we have kind of turned those values upside down. And, uh, and right now at the moment, none of us in here, we don't live in a culture that um, where physical size and strength necessarily is needed all that much, right? That's just how it is. Right? We don't have to take ground and fight and build and defend. We don't have to do any of that stuff, really. We live, most of us in here, we, you know, the majority of us live decently comfortable lives where we don't have to do anything like that at the moment. Who knows what it'll be in 50 years or so. I was listening to something this week or listening to this guy who was comparing men and women, and he was just throwing out some facts, right? He was saying, hey, since the 1980s, uh, women, the majority of college graduates have been women, and that number continues to rise. Uh, men are physically stronger, he admitted, but, uh, but in modern warfare, that's not necessarily needed anymore like it has in the past and throughout history, okay? Now you just press a button, right, and, uh, or fly a drone or whatever that might be. Uh, women are generally statistically healthier than men. They live longer than men. Men, um, unfortunately, are more likely to commit violent crimes. Uh, just since the 1960s, all right, the rate of fatherless children has, has tripled. Right? And he was comparing it to cars. He was like, man, if men were cars, right, like who would buy the model that doesn't last as long, is less reliable, more, you know, more dangerous to drive and impounded more often, right? Like who wants that car, all right? And, and some of that is, uh, there's a bunch of different factors that kind of factor into that. Some of that's the culture shift, or let's say the majority of that might be this culture shift that we've seen in our culture work. Our roles are, that we're naturally better at, I feel like, are less needed in our society that we live in right now at this moment. But it's not just that. I think some of it's, obviously, some of it's genetics and stuff like that when talking to health and living longer. But most of it, let me say this, most of it is on us as men, right? It's not somebody else's fault, right? It's on us. And men in our culture, no matter what you believe, maybe you, know, maybe you don't agree with this or whatever, but men in our culture struggle with what it means to be a man. You know, some of us were like, well, you know, you know, some of you manly men out there, you're like, well, you know, I'm a man. I, I drive a truck, you know, I eat meat, and uh, I, I watch sports, I hunt, I work with my hands, I work hard, you know, I'm a, I provide, I'm a man. Some of you guys 
Uh, others of you out there, you're a skinny jean, scarf-wearing vegan who sips on his latte at your local hipster coffee shop. Okay, that's like you. And you could probably be a man too, all right? I think. Um, just kidding. All right, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Don't send an email. Okay. I won't read it. All right, just saying. But no matter, no matter what you're into, okay, either way, no matter what you're into, all of us as men... Right? We should be asking this question. Right? What does it mean to be a man? Or what does a man look like? We should all, as men, be asking this question. And culture and God give us two very different answers. You know, sometimes I'm, you know, I'll be reading my Bible. I try to read my Bible every morning, uh, just, a, just a few chapters by, by myself. And I'll be reading there, and, and I'll be reading about some guy, okay? And, uh, it, you know, some guy in the, in, the, in the Bible, and, and, you know, sometimes I'm just reading, I'm like, man, man, I want to be so much, I want to be like that guy. God has given us so many examples of men for us men, all right, examples for us to, to follow. God's given us so many examples of what it looks like to be a man, and we're going to look at another one today. We looked at a few last week. We're going to look at another one today, um, and before we get rolling on this, let me just throw out a disclaimer. Let me just talk to you women, okay? Let me, Let's sit down. We'll have a little, let's have a little chat here for a second, all right? Because I know there's some women out there where you're going, oh, we're talking about men again. Come on. You know, like, uh, you're over here, right? And you're like, this has nothing to do with me. Why? Why? Um, check this out. I'm not just talking to men, okay? God gives us the examples of men in this Bible. Okay, there's a lot of examples of women, but God has given us examples of men in this Bible, not just for men. This book is for every single one of us in here, whether you're a man or a woman, right? God gives these, it's not just a men-only thing. No, this is, this is everyone. This includes women. Like, women, you are a part of this, okay? Whether you like it or not, maybe you don't want to, you know, it doesn't really matter. All right, you're a part of this as our mothers, as our sisters, as our daughters, as our, as our fellow church, you know, within our church family. Like, you're a part of this. And what I want to ask for you, from you, well, first I want to say this. What I want to tell you is that I think it's very, very, very good for you as a woman to know what it means to be a man. Not necessarily for yourself, okay? But I think it's good for you to know what, how God views men. Right? What, what I think it's good for you to know what God expects of men, how men should act. I think that's good for you to know. And so knowing that, what I want to ask from you women here today, and I want you to focus in on this, is this. I want to ask of you to biblically, keyword there, biblically, I want you to have high expectations for men in your life. I think that's kind of a problem. I think that's something that we don't necessarily get in our specific culture that we're in right now today. Is that I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of women out there I don't think have high expectations for men in their life. Daughters, sons, you know, husbands. And I don't think there's a bunch of men, you know, there's a bunch of men out there that don't have expectations, high expectations for their own life. Right? It's just a problem kind of all the way around. So we're going to get going on this. You guys with me? Okay. We're, all right. All right. <laughs> Women, I heard some lady out there. Okay, sweet. Um, there we go. Uh, let me give you some background just a little bit. Uh, this is going to be similar. We're in the similar time period of what we were talking about last week, okay, with, with David and everything. So 
Let me just recap in case you missed last week. About 3,000 years ago, Israel uh, goes to, uh, basically goes to God and says, hey, God, we want, to, you know, we want a king. So God gives them a king. It wasn't what's best for them, but, but God does what they ask. And God gives them this king, and this guy's name Saul, right? Saul was a manly man, okay? He, uh, he, was a, he was taller than everybody else. He was stronger than everybody else. I mean, this is everything that you would picture for a king. So God gives him this guy, and Saul starts off so good, right? He starts off a man, but then you read through Saul's life, and it's just, Ah, it's just so frustrating because he just starts doing stupid stuff. You know any guys like that? Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. This Saul starts doing some stupid stuff, and you're just like, wow, God told you to do this, and you do this. What are you doing? You know, it's stuff like that. And eventually, it's just so frustrating to read because you're like, you started off so good, and you had so much promise. But eventually, God ends up rejecting Saul as king. And God says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a man. This is, what, this is how God describes this next man. He says, I want to find a man, uh, a man who's after my own heart. And he goes and he picks out this, this little, really this middle school kid, 14-year-old kid called David. Okay, so he sends Samuel. He's a prophet. Samuel the prophet who's in that time period. Samuel the prophet goes. He anoints David as king. He's 14 years old. And then it's like two years of silence. Like we don't know anything that has happened in David's life for like the next two years is a secret. They don't want to tell anybody because the king Saul finds out that there's another rival king. You know, even if he's 14, 15, 16 years old, uh, you know, Saul's going to kill him. Okay. So at about 16 years old, the, the Israelites are at war with this neighboring country called the Philistines and and they got their armies drawn up, but they're not actually fighting. It's kind of like a stalemate. They're trying to see who's going to go first or whatever. And the Philistines have this champion warrior, undefeated, um, you know, never been beaten champion guy uh, called Goliath, right? We've all heard of David and Goliath. Okay, I'm only telling this because it kind of connects us maybe a little bit to the story. But... Uh, but David and Goliath, David goes, David's not even in the army. He's too young to be in the army. He's about 16 years old. So he's just, he goes to the army just to deliver lunch to his brothers. He's just like the errand boy, right? So he goes, and he delivers lunch. He happens to hear one day Goliath, he's out taunting not only King Saul, but he's taunting the whole army of Israel. And, uh, and he's taunting God. And David, this punk 16-year-old kid, all right, he's like, whoa, is anybody going to do something? Why don't somebody just go out and kill him? Right? Well, somebody go out and fight him. And everybody's like, I'm not fighting him. I'm not fighting him. And actually, his brothers actually get mad at him. Like, they're like, what, are you going to do it? All right? Why are you just coming here to watch the fight? And so David's like, actually, yeah, I will go do it. And David, as a 16-year-old kid, he starts running at, running at Goliath. He's got the sling. He slings it as hard as he can. The rock releases. It goes. It knocks Goliath right in the forehead. It knocks him out cold. He falls. He stumbles. He falls on the ground. David runs up to him, grabs his own sword, and chops off his head. Which, again, I just like to tell that story because it's so interesting. I don't want to, you know, he, he chops it off with his own sword. You know, whatever. Just a 16-year-old kid. And, so, and then the Philistine army, they take off. So immediately from that moment, this 16-year-old kid, David, that nobody knows, has already been um, anointed by God as the next king of Israel. Immediately, he's famous. Everybody, I mean, it doesn't take long. Word starts spreading throughout, throughout the country that, hey, did you hear about that kid? He killed that champion Goliath, right? He killed him. And, and the word travels fast, and they start marching through cities, and all the young women are out there singing songs and celebrating, and they're singing, they're saying, hey, you know, King Saul, he's killed his thousands, but David, he's killed his tens of thousands. And immediately when Saul hears that, he is so jealous, and he hates David for the rest of his life. 
And for the next few years, this is just trouble and issues. And King Saul is just trying to kill him. And, and David's running. And we talked about kind of the band of men that, that kind of form around David. They were the, they were the lowest in society, kind of the outcasts. And, and eventually King Saul ends up dying in battle. And David quickly becomes king of, of Israel. And David, as he reigns as king, I mean, he, he does pretty good. Um, he, he does a lot of, really, he does a lot of great things in his life, but, um, but he also made a lot of mistakes, which is just a reminder, really, for all of us men. David did worse things, worse sins, if that's what you want to call it. He did worse things than you will ever do. He had his, one of his best friends murdered. You know, he, he slept with his best friend's wife. You know, just, uh, just a t- bunch of terrible stuff that David did, and, and God punished him for it. But at the end of David's life, he's, he's bedridden, the Bible tells us. And he's just, you know, he, he, he's probably thinking through, like, everything. He's probably thinking through his past mistakes. He's, been, he's had a hard life, right? And he's, he's you know, he, he knows he's about to die. And there's this little story that happens kind of right here that I just want to tell real quick, just to kind of give us the context of the verses we're going to be looking at. And we're only going to be looking at three quick verses today um, that really are packed with so much that I think men need to hear. But, um, but as David's on his deathbed, he's got his oldest son named Adonijah who sets himself up as king. Now, throughout the last few years, David has told everybody that his son Solomon, who's one of his younger sons, which is different, you know, that his son Solomon was going to be the next king. Well, Adonijah knows this, and he, he goes and he makes a deal with David's um, army commander, Joab, and, and he gets his support, and then he, he gets a priest to come anoint him as the next king. So Adonijah becomes the next king of Israel, and he, um, he doesn't tell his dad, and he, he, he invites all the, uh, he decides to throw a big party. He invites all the important people to his house. And everything's going good, and, and he invites all of David's other sons. He's had a, he had a bunch of sons, and, but he doesn't invite Solomon. He doesn't want him to know about it or whatever. And, and eventually this man named Nathan, who is actually a prophet, Nathan the prophet, he hears what, about what's going on. He goes quickly to David. And he uh, wakes David up. You know, David's, he's old and he's on his deathbed. He's like, hey, David, you know, did you know that your son Adonijah has just set himself up as king? All right, was that your plan? Is that what you wanted to happen? Because I thought I was under the understanding that Solomon was going to be the next king. Like, that's what you were telling everybody. And now Adonijah's the next king? He's like, what's going on here? And so David tells, uh, he tells Nathan, he's like, hey, bring Solomon in. Solomon goes in. And David declares Solomon as king. David had to act fast. And, and he has... Um, Solomon paraded through the city, and everybody starts singing. There's, they start saying, hey, you know, long live King Solomon, long live King Solomon. And in the meantime, this is happening at the exact moment that this party is raging in Adonijah's house where he's got all the most important elders and in, uh, in most important people of Israel hanging out and drinking and partying until they hear the noise of what's going on just a few blocks away, and they go check it out, and, and a guy comes running to the party. He's like, hey, you won't believe this, Adonijah, but your dad just made your younger half-brother Solomon king, and he's parading through the city right now, and I, you know, I just thought you should know. And when all the guests at the party heard this, they start, like, trickling away, like, oh, you know, because, you know, they're, like, committing treason here, and they're like, oh, well, you know, nice, thanks for the food, you know, we're out of here. And they start scattering. And Adonijah has to go to, to his brother, his younger brother Solomon. And he basically says, hey, please don't kill me. Sorry, I tried to take your crown, all right, your, your kingdom from you. 
And so I just want to tell you that just so you can get the context of the words that we're about to look at um, again really quick. But things begin rocky for Solomon. Right, really rocky. Like his brother's trying to steal his crown. His dad is dying, and the whole nation is looking towards him to, for, for help and for guidance. Like, hey, you know, you're the leader now. What, what, do you, what do you want us to do? And so the next three verses are really the context. These are David's last words to his 20-year-old son, Solomon. He's on his deathbed. I mean, we don't know when he dies. He may have died a few hours later. He may have died that very day. And this is what he says in 1 Kings chapter 2. Verse 1. He says, as the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon. Now, in our society and today in our culture, we look at this word ordered, and that sounds super negative. It's got a negative connotation around it. Uh, But basically, I think a better word here that makes more sense, is more accurate, is charged. Okay? So David charges his son Solomon, almost like like a military. He's like pumping him up. Okay, he's giving him his last advice. He's like, hey, I want, you, you know, I, want to, I want you to know this. And so this is what he says. So he charges his son Solomon, and this is what David says specifically. David says, as for me, or as for me, you know, I don't know. He's dying, sorry. <laughs> as for me, he says, I'm going the way of all the earth. Like, you just tell Solomon straight up. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm dying here. Like, I'm going to die. So Solomon, this is what I want you to do. You're the new king. He's 20 years old. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be strong and be a man. Now, it's interesting. As I was reading this, I'm like, so, so you know, look what David doesn't say. He doesn't go and say, oh, hey, little buddy, you know, I love you. Love you, little buddy. Or, or, you know, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, you'll be okay. Hey, Solomon, I just want you to stay positive, right? He doesn't say anything like that. You know, I'm sending positive vibes. I see that all the time on Facebook and stuff. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, that's how I picture I'm like, positive vibes are coming your way in another state. I don't know. But uh, he doesn't say that, right? He, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, hey, Solomon, I want you to live your life. All right, here's some advice. Do, you know, I want you to enjoy work, right? Or, or he doesn't say, hey, do what makes you happy. He doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't even say, I love you. Right? It's interesting to me. He's telling Solomon what Solomon needs to hear, not necessarily what Solomon wants to hear. There's a difference there a lot of times. So this is what he says. He says, be strong. Basically, what David's doing here is he's recognizing that Solomon's life is not going to be easy. Not even close to easy. Like, there's going to be some issues there. He's going to, it's going to get complicated. All right, it's going to get hard. It's not always going to be fun and games for Solomon, even though he is the king. All right, it's not always going to be great. So, so he's saying, hey, Solomon, what I want you to do is I want you to be strong, and I want you to man up. Like, it's time. He, he's like saying, you know, I'm not going to be here to protect you. I'm not going to be here to, to you know, to, to back you at everything. It's time for you to stand up. And be your own man. Right? He knows Solomon at times is going to feel like stepping away. Like kind of how we all feel sometimes. Solomon knows he's going to, or David knows that Solomon at some point, he's going to want to quit. He's going to want to, he's going to, want to turn his back on a situation all right, that's just difficult. He's not, he's, going to want, he's not going to want to lead. He's saying, no, no, you don't have that option. You need to be strong and you need to be a man. Now, this is something 
that I think every single man in this room needs to hear. Okay, because the reality of it is it is our tendency, including myself, okay, this is all of us in here, uh, all of us men, it's our tendency, especially in our culture, our tendency is to get soft. I can't even think, I, I'm just trying to think of what word could accurately describe what I'm trying, the thought that I'm trying to get. And I think soft is the best word. I think it's our tendency in our culture to get soft. And we as men, we need to push back against that in our lives. A uh, few, three and a half years ago, uh, Kate and I, well, let me start this way. Uh, Kate and I, we have three kids, okay? So I've been through the birth process three times, right? It's extremely difficult for me, you know what I mean? And, uh, oh, you women are sighing out there. Oh, okay, yeah, rolling your eyes. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we had our first kid, that went good. We had our, our second kid, my, my second son, Wes, um, for, uh, we, <laughs> during that time, we were in the hospital. I'm not explaining this right. All right. I'm already off to a bad start here. Um, we're in the hospital, right? Kate's getting ready to, to deliver, and, we're, and we, I'm like, hey, we're getting the epidural. You know, I didn't necessarily do that for her. I did that more for me, you know? I'm like, I don't want to be here for that, right? Like, ouch. Anyway, and so we get the epidural, and the way they do it, and maybe some of you guys, is, uh, I know, all, you know a lot of you ladies, but maybe some of you guys have been in the same situation where the nurse tells you, so like, okay, dad, they always call you dad. And I'm like, I'm not your dad. Don't call me that. Call me mister. Or, you know, something. I don't know. Call me by my real name. Um, and they're like, okay, dad, I want you to come over here, and I want you, the case sitting on the bed, and I want you to stand there, and I want you to hold her firmly. Like, I want you to hold her tight. Right? And then they tell you all the horror stuff, like, you know, and if she moves or she flinches or something, right, as we're sticking this in her spine, ah, you know, she's, they're like, she could be paralyzed, like, for life, you know, like, not that big of a deal, right? And I'm just like, okay, you know, and I'm like, I did this once before, I know how to do this, I'm, I've been through this, this ain't my first rodeo. You know, I go up and I'm like, I'll hold her steady. And so I'm holding her and I can see, you know, she's, I can see her back and the doctor comes, he whips out this giant sword needle thing. And I'm just like, whoa, that's bigger than what I remember. And I'm holding her and I'm just watching everything, okay. And, and again, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm ready and, and he starts sticking it. Well, this, this guy, this doctor, it took him like three times to like do it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, all right? I'm like, oh, and Kate, I don't even know if she knows what's going on. I mean, I don't know. I've never been in whatever. Probably shouldn't have said that. But, uh, but he has to, like, pull it out. I'm like, I'm watching this thing. He has to pull it out. Oh, no, didn't get it. And then he puts it back in some, you know, close to that. And I'm just like, and I'm starting to get a little sick. Has anybody done that before, like needles and stuff? I've never had a problem with needles. All right, one time in high school, my, my doctor, he gave me, um, a flu, he was giving me a flu shot, and he had me stick myself, right? Like, and I was like, sweet. No, not a big deal. All right, let's do that. But this time, something like got screwed up in my brain. I don't know. And I'm like getting sick. I'm like, whoa, not feeling so good. Never felt this before. I don't know what's going on here. And I tell the nurse, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm about to, I might pass out here. Like, this is getting bad. And I'm thinking, if I pass out, I'm going to flop over on her, and she'll get paralyzed, and then it's going to be my fault. She'll be walking around for the rest of her life going, yeah, I'm in this wheelchair because my husband passed out on me. You know, just embarrassing. And so I'm like, you know, I kind of swallow my pride for a little bit, and, and I look at the nurse. I'm like, hey, I'm, maybe you should hold her. She's like, no, you're doing great. And I'm like, no, you should hold her. 
because I'm about to, I'm not feeling so good. And she's like, what? And she makes me like explain it. And she's like, oh, okay, you go sit down. And I go sit down. And I was like, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things where I'm like, man, I'm getting soft. Like, I just want to punch myself. Like, what is going on? I can't handle it. And, uh, and I was thinking that was like a one-time thing. Well, about a year later, I was in a doctor's office. They were looking at my shoulder for something. She, and the doctor just mentioned, she just said, hey, we'll just give you a shot at cortisone. And, I'm like, and when she said that, it's the same feeling. I started, I was like sick. I was like, what is going on with me? Like, is this how I'm going to have to live my life or what? Just mentioning it. She didn't have, there's no needle in the room. Now, fast forward two weeks ago. I'm at CVS. I'm picking up a prescription. Somebody walks in. And this has bothered me since that day, three and a half years. All right? And I'm like, I'm getting soft. What's going on here? And I'm, I'm at CVS, and two people come in, and they're going to get shots. All right? I don't know what it is. You know, whatever. And, um, and I hear them talking. So I get like, you know, I, I walk over to them. We're kind of in the same area. And I start looking at like a shelf, acting like I'm looking at something, whatever was there. But I'm like, I need to watch this because I need to like defeat this in my life. Like stupid, mental, dumb thing. And I watch it, and they, they put the, the needle in. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling good. Maybe I'm, this isn't a big deal. And they took the needle out, and blood started rushing down. And I was like, whoa, oh, man. I started walking down the aisle. I was like, please don't pass out. Please don't pass out. So it's still, it's still an issue for me. I don't know what to do about that. If you have any ideas, let me know, because I hate it. And I'm getting soft, and I don't know how to fix it. But... Uh, but as men in general, so, so sure, stuff like that. You know, I, I was thinking back, like, with David, like, if I lived during this time with David, I'd be the first one to die, or let's say second one to die on the battlefield, because someone gets cut or something, or someone gets run through with a sword, I'd just flop over. <laughs> it's embarrassing, you know? Getting soft, all right? We have the tendency to get soft, all right? And it's popular, especially within our culture, because in our culture, it is popular to be the victim, it is. It's popular to be the one who's weak. It's popular to have no responsibility. We're always blaming somebody else for, for our issues. See, David doesn't just tell Solomon to act like a man. He doesn't just tell Solomon to man up. Right? He doesn't say, hey, yeah, you just act like a man, man up. Good luck. All right, have fun with, with your life. I'm going to die. It is not. He actually tells Solomon how in the next verse. He says, this is how you do it. All right, I want you to man up. All right, I want you, to, I want you to, to, to be strong. How do you do it? By keeping your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways. Not your ways, Solomon, his ways. And to keep his statute, his commands, ordinances, and decrees. He says this is written in the law of Moses. So he tells Solomon, right, he, he, he gives him this charge. Right, he, he gives him this order. And he's saying, you need to be strong, right? You need to act like a man. And how do you do it? He says, this is how you do it, Solomon. You do it by walking in his God's ways. By living the way that God tells us to live, by leading the way that God calls us to lead, by loving the way that God has called us to love, by working the way that God has called us to work, by acting the way God has called us to act. And just in case maybe some tiny little part of Solomon didn't understand exactly how God wanted him to live his life, he says it right here. He says, Solomon, it's written in the law of Moses. Basically for us, he's saying it's written in the Bible. We have the law of Moses in the Bible, all right? It's part of it. He's like, it's written in the Bible. You got this. It's there. See, the reality of it is God has given us men and women, okay? God has given us men this, 
to show us how to live our life, to show us how to walk the way that God calls us to walk. And I don't know who you are. You know, I don't know everybody in here. Maybe you think you're some manly man. You're like, I, bought, I drive the truck, and I, I watch sports, I play sports, and I hunt, and I work hard, and, and I eat meat, and I'm, you know, I'm good to go. But if you don't walk in his ways, let me just tell you, say, you're, you're a shell of the man who God wants you to be, and you always will be. You will never be the man that God has called you to be. You will always be a shell of the man who God wants you to be. And maybe you're going, well, dude, you know, maybe, you know, maybe David, he's all into, you know, right here, David, he's all into religion. And, and so, yeah, he's telling Solomon all this stuff. But, you know, that's not, that's not me. Like, I don't need anyone. Like, I'm a man. I take care of myself. I take responsibility for my things. I, I, I don't need anybody like that. Well, let me just say, you know, if you'd like to go toe-to-toe with David, all right, be my guest, like, like if that was even possible, because like, my money's on David. Before David was 16, all right, he killed a lion with his bare hands. All right, I get that you do CrossFit, all right, but, uh, but I'm just saying, all right, uh, my guess is that you get yourself lit up, all right? See, God created us as men, and he gets to define us as men. And anything that we assign to the definition of man, anything that we're like, well, you know, this is what a man is, and that's, that's different from what God says, I mean, that, anything that we do that is less than what we were made for. And so first, David, he quickly, he tells Solomon, he says, hey, I want you to be strong. I want you to be a man. He gives Solomon the what. Then he tells Solomon the how. He says, do it by walking in his ways. And then he tells Solomon why here in this last verse. He says, so that, this is why, so that you will have success in everything that you do and wherever you turn. He's like, so that God will bless you. See, walking with God, let me make this clear. Walking with God and doing life God's way, it's not for God. It's for us. It's for our benefit. See, we have this idea that it's like, hey, yeah, I follow God. I'm doing God a favor, right? I, I was nice to this person. I don't like being nice to this person. I, I went out of my way and did this and helped him out in whatever way. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing that just because I'm doing God a favor, okay? It's almost like we feel like we owe God that we could somehow pay him back or, or, or whatever. But no, no, walking in God's ways is for our benefit. You get that? Like, it, like it's good for us. And so David here, at the end of his life, he's on his deathbed. He's saying, hey, be strong, man up by walking in God's way so that you can succeed in life. And in Solomon's case, it's so that you can succeed in running this kingdom. Maybe in your case, it's so that you can succeed in being a community leader. You can succeed in your business. But that's just like surface level stuff. It actually is way deeper. There's a lot more to it so that you can succeed in being a good man. So that you can succeed in being a good leader. You can succeed in being a good son or a good husband or a good dad. See, our culture tells us something completely different. Our culture that we all live in tells us, no, 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 no. It's all about you. Like, do what you want to do. All right? Do, do, have fun in life. You need, you need to be happy. And again, I'm not against fun. We're about to have a ton of fun tonight. All right? All about, all about fun. But, uh, but it's like, you know, you got all these men all around us, and, and a lot of us, you know, probably a lot of us in here, we, we neglect the things that we shouldn't neglect. We neglect leading our families and, and, and taking, you know, uh, ministering to our wife and just and our kids and stuff like that so that we can pursue fun. He's saying that's what makes us soft. 
David doesn't tell Solomon to do that. Instead, David's telling Solomon, he's like, hey, you're 20 years old. I know you're just a kid. He's like, man, you need a man up. And so if that's you out there, I mean, it's all of us out there. Let's be honest. But if you're out there and you're going, you know, where do I start, right? I can tell you one thing. You can start at 10 p.m. in Fremont tonight, all right? We're going to have some fun, all right? We're going to get, maybe get some aggression out. Again, you don't have to if you don't want to. Only about half the guys will anyway. But, um, but we're, going, we're doing this 10-week challenge in our church just for men. And women have their own 10-week challenge, which we're not doing at this moment. But uh, we're doing this 10-week challenge thing. It's helping us as men because we need help. Again, because our tendency is to get soft. It's helping us to become the man that God created us to be, not the man that we want to be or that we think we should be or that, you know, some woman in our life thinks that we should be. No, we want to become the man who God says we should be. And so we're looking at three different areas, physically, relationally, spiritually. Maybe you got one of those areas where you're like, good. You know, I, you're like going, you know, I work out all the time. And so physically, no problem. I got that down. Maybe you do got that down. But my guess is that you got some of the other areas not down. Maybe you need some work. Because we all do. And so my challenge to you men this morning is number one, show up tonight. Okay? It's good for you. It's going to cost you two hours of sleep, but that's all right. But it's this. Be strong. This is what God's telling you this morning as men. Be strong. Act like a man by walking in God's ways so that you could succeed in life. That's the last advice of a dying man who God describes in his own words as a man after his own heart to his son, who he dearly loves and cares about. Let's pray. God, we um, thank you for this. And this is something that every single man in this room and, and woman, I mean, this is, this is something we all need to hear. We don't hear this very much in our culture But God, you've called us to, every, all of us in here, especially men, you've called us to be strong. You've called us to act like a man. You've called us to walk in your ways, do life your way, not life our way. And God, is for our benefit. And we thank you for telling us. The only reason why we know this, the only reason why you give this is because you care about us. We thank you for that. And God, we love you. Help us to take that challenge. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.